Pete Callender hosts the daily podcast on his website at thepetecallendershow.com. Connecting the mountains to the coast to everywhere in between this morning here on the Big Talker FM. Pete, it's a pleasure. I hope you had a great weekend. I did, Joe. How are you? Oh, we're hanging tight. Uh, another great, uh, well, of course, the last few days of R and R at the beach. Uh, I mean, I'm not complaining. Got a little, got a little suntan. Uh, I mean, I, I'm living large uh, here on the coast. I was gonna say, like every day is a vacation at the beach, is it not? Even when well, you're working. Summertime uh, around uh, the city of Wilmington, the surrounding areas. Pete, I gotta say, very difficult to, to find advertisers and uh, you know business owners on a Friday or a Monday if <laughs> uh, you know everything is in line for them. Uh, they somehow, some way, find themselves uh, into some uh, recreational activities on the, the four day weekend that is uh, the summer here in Wilmington. Indeed, yeah, we have a similar dynamic. We, my wife and I, went downtown Asheville yesterday, uh, or sorry, Saturday. Uh, they do now that you know we are uh, sort of opening back. up. Up. The county uh, got out from underneath its uh, local emergency declaration, and uh, so they had their Art in the Park uh, event where, you know, local artists uh, go out there, pitch their tents and stuff, and so, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a throwback. It was, uh, hadn't seen anything like that in downtown Asheville for, you know, over a year, and uh, mm-hmm. it was kind of nice, still hot. Uh, it was like, you know, almost 90 degrees here in the mountains over the weekend. That was mm. not, uh, that's kind of your weather. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really nice to see uh, people moving around again. There's still some folks with masks on outside, but um, for the most part, everyone was just kind of, I don't know, returning to normal. Enjoying uh, their lives. And uh, well, we should, because you only get one. And after the better part of a year, where we've been told you're non-essential, you need to stay home and, uh, you know, save your grandmother and uh, your neighbor. Uh, I would say, yeah, now's the time uh, to get out and about uh, before who knows, uh, you know, the next time uh, the government deems you as a non-essential contributor to our society and puts the dunce cap on you and sends you to the corner uh, for the better part of 15 months. Yeah, and we are also... I'm sorry to cut. Yeah, I'm sorry. We said we, we're also still in an emergency declaration in the state. Like Roy mm-hmm. Cooper still mm-hmm. hasn't lifted that, and I think now we're behind New York. There are very few states that still have this uh, emergency declaration still in place, but North Carolina is one of them. Pete, I wasn't on our you know list of items to discuss, but why is it uh, that free speech is only protected if quote unquote you know they agree with what is being said? I'm uh, pointing out uh, a professor here over on our local <laughs> college campus who's in a little turmoil now because, uh, you know, he posted on Facebook, blow up Republicans mm-hmm. and they you know, take it for what it is and from, you know, where it's coming from. But nonetheless, you know, you post something like that. And as uh, the college Republican president pointed out, you know, if we eliminate the word Republicans and insert any other word and put you know, a right leaning college professor you know, behind those statements, uh, you know, all hell is breaking loose. Uh, donors are you know, threatening to pull money from campus. And next thing you know, you know, the guy or gal has lost her job. Yeah. So a couple things about that. Number one, it tells you who actually controls the institutions, right? Who holds the power? It's the old axiom. You know, if you want to know who's in power, uh, uh, then look at who you cannot criticize. And uh, it's also um, a really good example of the way and everybody does this right and left. We are all kind of prone to doing this sort of thing, particularly in a culture war, as we find ourselves in, because you need as many allies as possible. But there is this tendency to uh, to 
you know, give your opponents the least charitable explanation <laughs> or impression and to give your allies uh, the most charitable interpretation. And that's why you see people who have the power give the most charitable interpretations to their allies, in this case, the guy who says blow up Republicans. And to them, they'll say, well, he only meant like, you know, amplify them, right? Or uh, I'm trying to think of all the different ways blow up has, you know, can be used as a synonym for something else. <laughs> but look, we all understand what it was that he was communicating, right? He hates Republicans. Now, I don't know what you tell college kids that are going to take a class with this guy who happened to be uh, Republican identifying or uh, maybe they're, you know, Republican curious or something like uh, if they're walking into that guy's classroom, do you think that they should expect a fair shake? And this then gets to the charitable impression because now they're the, his defenders, this professor's defenders will say, well, um, you know, he's a professional. He would never think to, you know, hold these kids to some, you know, different standard or something because they're giving him the benefit of the doubt because he's an ally for them they don't want to lose an ally in the culture war they need him for the battle and so they're going to defend him you know as far as they can meanwhile the students they're the ones that have to pay this price because they have to go and sit in this class and they're going to self-censor themselves they're going to lay low not cause waves and um is that really is that the is that the role of a higher academic quote-unquote pursuit is that higher education I would submit it's not. When I was in college and I went through, you know, philosophy classes, political science classes mm -hmm. and, and journalism classes, and it was always wide open. And that was the whole point, because you don't test ideas when you are afraid of saying something that everyone will what? Not give you the benefit of the doubt and and apply to you the least charitable interpretation. Pete Kaminer with us uh, from the mountains this morning out in Asheville, uh, connecting the mountains to the coast. Uh, and uh, I had a similar experience in going and attending a liberal arts school for two years after transferring from a junior college. It was that, uh, well, I pretty much knew very well where many of my professors stood as far as their ideology or their thoughts on the politics of the day. Yeah, but they were always encompassing and welcoming you know, debate and, in fact, encouraging that. And it just seems as if you know, that line of thinking has really faded away in our places as you know, we call it uh, of quote unquote higher learning. Yeah. Well, and it's been happening, you know, for the last 20 years. It's a I got out of college in 97. And so uh, and, and as a, you know, a person who has worked in talk radio for, you know, 20 plus years now, it's 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 been very clear this long march through the institutions. Right. And what's been happening. You know, we've we started covering this stuff and it was it, we were mocking it. Right. It was funny. It was like, oh, my gosh, look at these idiots in college. These, you know, these young kids, they don't know what they're doing and these professors they're out to lunch and all this and you know with their cry closets and safe spaces and trigger warnings and and we thought <laughs> that well once they get out of college you know the real world is going to smack them around a little bit and be like you know grow up unfortunately the reverse has occurred and that mentality that has infected academia the academy and you know higher education that's now out in it's broken containment it's out among us and uh it's now it's infused in you know the corporate training sessions it's infused in i mean it's up at the department of justice and the uh uh in the military and like i don't know and i don't know how you bring people back because for so many of uh, folks that go through this stuff it's a religion it is very much like a religion and it, they take things on articles of faith and they have to um they have to defend it with that kind of zealotry so i'm not sure how you how you break people away from sort of the the cult-like draw that some of this uh, ideology has 
Pete, and one of the things uh, that I think bothers me most about all of this, uh, just uh, like four months ago, uh, the chancellor at this said university here on our local campus, uh, the chancellor in this heightened conversation about BLM and uh, you know in the aftermath of George Floyd, the chancellor dare went out on a limb and said, you know, all lives matter to me. Oh and my gosh. He ended up being censured by the <laughs> faculty senate for you know <laughs> that statement. Yet here we have a professor who apparently, according to the university, university has expressed some frustration, you know, expressed remorse, but hasn't necessarily come out publicly and said anything about it. And nor will he, in all right. likelihood. Well, and that that creates the very chilling effect. Right. For the chancellor to say that. And uh, like, I understand the sentiment. I also understand, by the way, like when people use all lives matter, when people use that as a way to deflect the conversation away from legitimate criticisms and critiques and complaints. I understand like a lot of times people will say, well, all lives matter. And they do it in order to shut down the discussion that they don't want to have. So I understand that argument. But again, it's about applying the worst of interpretations. Are you giving somebody the benefit of the out? Are you being the least charitable um, towards this person because you 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 assume their politics or you're trying to score political points or something? You know, does anybody really think that the chancellor of the of UNC Wilmington, that they really think that um, black lives don't matter or that that he's not, uh, you know, aware and attuned to these complaints and criticisms? No, of course not. They saw it as, a, as an opportunity, though, to score some political points, to uh, amplify their own message or their own uh, cachet. But like this idea that he has to be censured because he had the temerity to suggest that all human lives matter is it's it's insanity and the the purpose is to chill speech so no one else gets out of line you saw what we did to the chancellor we'll do it to you what chance do you have and that is not charitable at all and it is uh i would say it's the complete opposite of what an institution of higher learning is supposed to be about all right one of the headlines uh, from uh, the coast uh, this weekend uh, an ongoing conversation that uh, you've been having out in your neck of the woods has been uh, the fact that what 86 police officers have <laughs> yeah. either resigned or retired from the Asheville Police Department making uh, New York Times uh, making the New York Times uh, just in the past week uh, you know why is it through the authors of this article at the New York Times uh, that uh, police have been quitting in droves in your city well uh, they would have you believe that this is a, a national trend that is driven by covid it's been the covid that it's a very <laughs> it's, it's a very uh, very smart virus it's the smartest virus ever like it knows uh, if you're out protesting for social and racial justice you won't get covid so don't worry about that mass gather all you want scream chant hack and cough on each other no problem uh, however if you are going to gather at a church uh, COVID knows that, that that's not allowed. And so COVID will smite you down for that. Um, just like COVID knows that cops need to, uh, be, they need to just be leaving the force. And so COVID has created a rise in, in crime and police exodus all at the same time. That's the reason we're supposed to believe. No, obviously what has occurred over the last year, that's when the, the, uh, resignations really stepped up, uh, in the early retirements is that cops get into this line of work by and large, the vast majority of cops. I mean, yes, there are bad apples. Absolutely. But the um, the vast majority of cops get into that line of work because they want to be the good guys. It's kind of like the deal. It's the whole point. It's why they work for in, in Asheville. The starting salary is thirty seven thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And they pay cops so little because they know they'll do the job. They know they'll do it. Well, they have until now. So here's the thing. 
if you tell somebody that you don't appreciate the work and not to mention that once they take that job, they are now the worst thing you can call somebody in society, which is a racist, right? Now you're a racist and you're perpetuating racism by being a cop and we're going to throw stuff at you and we're going to uh, sling insults and slurs at you all day. Now we're going to we're going to cast you as the bad guy. They don't want to. Who wants to do that job? Nobody wants to do that job. And it's particularly acute in Asheville. They have zero support from uh, the city council. It's completely Democrat-controlled. And so what happens is that left-wing moonbat brigade that is the base of the local Democratic Party, they drive the whole party to the left towards this uh, anarchy, communist kind of a model that the base that hangs out at the communist bookshop, that's what they want to see occur. And uh, like, I'm serious, like it's called Firestorm. They they hand out free needles and stuff. It's yeah, it's atrocious. Anyway, so this is this is the base that drives the conversation on the left. And because there are virtually no Republicans uh, even left inside city limits, there isn't anybody to push back on this because the liberals aren't doing it. You know, the liberals are not interested in fighting the progressives and the far left inside their own party. They're just feeding the alligator in the hope that it eats them last. But the moral of that story is the alligator does eventually eat you, right? Like, that's how that ends. Pete Callender with us uh, once again uh, from uh, the city of Asheville. Uh, the Pete com is his website if you want to pick up his daily podcast uh, highlighting all uh, statewide national issues uh, from uh, a North Carolinian's uh, perspective out in the mountains. Uh, Pete, uh, some other things that have been going on out uh, in the western part of the state. Uh, uh, what was it, uh, a couple weeks ago? We, we celebrated Juneteenth, uh, this <laughs> Emancipation Day. And, uh, you know, and hey, you want to celebrate uh, you know, this uh, momentous occasion? Yep. We, could, we should. Once again, proving you know, the point uh, that many uh, want to stray away from, that this country in what? a little under 100 years, was able to take uh, this nation from a slave state uh, to a free nation for all as we continue to work and strive towards this perfect union uh, that we're supposedly working towards. Uh, But apparently even the activists aren't happy uh, with uh, celebrating an historic day in our nation's history uh, out in your side of the state. So, yeah, this was uh, there was a, a living history museum. It's called the Latta plantation l-a-t-t-a and the the family uh, named after the family um and uh they do living history reenactments right and the site manager a fellow by the name of ian campbell put together a juneteenth program and i won't get into all of the specifics but it was based loosely on a song called kingdom coming which was written by an abolitionist back in the 1860s and um and so he, he he creates this program and he takes highlights from the song and puts it into the description of the program and posts it online. Well, the very online activist crowd, they're all outraged at what the description says because they claim it glorifies the Confederacy and doesn't center the the event around the slaves' experience, even though, if you know the song, the song actually does do that very thing. And his point was, all of these stories, the soldiers that come back from fighting the Civil War, you've got the, uh, the landowner, the plantation owner, Massa, as he called him in the description, he has fled. He's hiding out in the woods. The slaves have now taken over the house. They threw the overseer in the basement and they locked him down there. So there are all these different stories that he's bringing together. And they're all based on the, that one song. 
And so the activist crowd, they hook up with the local elected officials in the city of Charlotte and Mecklenburg County and the uh, Arts and Science Council people and the Parks and Rec people. And they not only shut down the event before it was ever put on, um, but they also closed the museum. All those people are now out of work. They shut it all down. And here's the kicker. The guy who did the program, a black guy. And I interviewed him. And that's today's podcast, actually. Ian Campbell, a black guy who was thrown off the first time a black man has run that plantation in over two centuries and white Democrats threw him off the land. I'm just, you know, I just find that to be kind of historically ironic. Pete Callender with us. Uh, check out his podcast uh, at thepetecallendershow.com. Uh, Pete, a few more items uh, that you pointed uh, towards my way here this morning. Uh, we know uh, that the budget conversation for state government continues. Apparently, there will be trilateral conversations uh, through the governor's <laughs> office uh, with Republicans in the state house and Senate. And uh, he, who called uh, you know the budget plan released by Republicans awful uh, last week because it focuses on infrastructure, tax cuts, and doesn't necessarily you know put all the money uh, plus uh, you know this, that, and the other towards public education because that's uh, the only thing I guess uh, you know, our focus is on. Of course, not the seventy percent of kids who can't read, write, or do math at grade level. Only that the money is uh, you know filling the coffers. But apparently now. Uh, you tell me that there's a judge in our state who's threatening our lawmakers uh, by imposing some sort of education spending plan. I mean, uh, you know, where does this take us? So this is from the Leandro lawsuit. It's been going on for, gosh, 30 years now, where low wealth counties sued the state, saying that it's in the Constitution that the state provide a, uh, an education for uh, all students and that by underfunding um, this, the low wealth districts and counties that they're not fulfilling their constitutional role. This was the Leandro case and named after uh, one of the plaintiffs. Now, uh, the the child, Leandro, is now a lawyer. Uh, he's all grown up. And uh, the and, and the state is now, you know, uh, being run by Republicans rather than Democrats when they were first sued. Anyway, the legislature is actually not a party to this lawsuit. It's against the uh, Board of Education and the Attorney General's office, the Governor's office, right there, like it's not in the executive branch. It's not the legislature. So this judge that has now taken over this case, um, because the previous judge retired, um, this judge said, uh, "Let's go out and get an, uh, uh, a review by this uh, consulting group, and they're going to tell us what a sound basic education, fully funded, would cost and look like." So they put together this report. It's called the uh, the West Ed Report. They put this together, and the price tag is about an additional eight billion dollars over the next eight years. So a billion dollar increase a year. And our total budget in the state is like 25, 26 billion. So they want an additional billion dollars a year. And the judge said, if you don't do this legislature, I will. He's essentially issued a court order demanding that the state general assembly adopt the West Ed plan, which again, they were never brought in on any of this. And so now the legislature is saying, it's a nice order you got there. Uh, now try to enforce it. This this it actually runs the risk of creating a constitutional crisis in the state because you're having a judge that the judiciary does not control the spending in this state. They can't order the legislature to enact taxes to pay for a plan that was crafted by a consultant from California. Like, I, I'm not clear as to what the end game is for this judge, except maybe to create the constitutional crisis. It's it's really astounding. And again, as you mentioned at the very top of all of this, the lawsuit originally brought up uh, while, while Democrats were in yeah. control of the state <laughs> legislature and being challenged for not funding rural and uh, 
you know, underserved uh, communities across our state. Let's uh, all remind folks where we were, of course, uh, prior to, what, 2010, Mm -hmm. uh, when Democrats had ruled the roost for the better part of 120 years. Hey, Pete, before I let you go, I did not realize that uh, 60 million uh, Latinos uh, living in the United States uh, were you know, uh, apparently hesitant to, to get the COVID vaccine because they were you know, in fear of being deported. Yeah. At least that's what the president of the United States told us last week. Yeah, kind of racisty, don't you think, to automatically assume that or, as, well, as he called them, Latinx, which sounds like a tissue of some kind, but Latinxes, that they, uh, that they don't want to get the shot because they don't want to get deported. Which, like, well, that's an interesting conflation there of Hispanic with illegal alien. Just imagine, right, how many brains would have exploded in media and uh, on the left, but I repeat myself, uh, had that been a Republican president who who conflated those two groups of people. Uh, He also, in that same sentence, Joe Biden, you know, trying to pitch the vaccinations, he also conflated uh, the Tuskegee experiments with the Tuskegee Airmen, which... Like, again, if a Republican had done that, I can only imagine we would be, you know, dialing up the outrage to level 11 by this point. So once again, uh, you know, coming full circle with this discussion, how, you know, free speech and certain uh, comments are twisted and contorted in the media and others are just uh, left alone. Nothing to see here. It's just uh, Grandpa Joe. You know, he slips up every once in a while. Charitable assumptions. The, yeah, we assume the most charitable assumption for our allies. Yep. The Pete Callender Show dot com, a daily podcast uh, covering statewide national issues uh, from uh, the mountains here in North Carolina, connecting the mountains to the coast, everywhere in between, a couple times a month with Pete. Uh, Pete, it's a pleasure as always, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. That's the Pete Callender Show dot com as we head up uh, towards the top of the hour on the Big Talker FM. Our call in number is nine one zero two nine nine. 